Today's scripture comes from Psalm 46. And uh, you can find it in your bulletins. And uh, here's what I'll do. I'll read it aloud, and you can follow along in the bulletin. And uh, then we'll get started. Psalm 46. Hear the word of the Lord. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters a spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of the Lord. You know, <clears throat> uh, I'm not going to be preaching for the next two weeks. Uh, my family and I were going to Germany tomorrow. Uh, so we will be gone. We'll only be gone for one Sunday, but we'll be gone for a little less than two weeks. And technically, this is probably the last sermon that I'm going to preach for the summer. So uh, I, I wanted to give a little bit of reflection of my summer personally, and I guess uh, some of the things that I want to bring to uh, our congregation and I, I think this has been a very important summer for me personally, uh, spiritually speaking. I think um, there's been a lot of personal growth for me, and I've been able to see and experience a lot of what God is doing uh, outside of New York. You know, I was just thinking, uh, I don't know if you noticed, but uh, I did not, there, there were a lot of Sundays where I did not preach this summer, <laughs> and it's been about like four years since I've, I guess I've had a period of time like that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's for a couple reasons. Uh, earlier in the summer, I was in Chicago because uh, some of you know I'm doing a degree at Fuller Seminary. And so I was in Chicago for a week, and I got to go, you know, do things that I've never done before. I got to visit a maximum security prison and see uh, uh, the seminary's partnership with uh, um, prison inmates and the things that God is doing within the walls of prison. I got to hear from a, a woman who does work with high-risk youth, uh, young people who are... Uh, typically in gangs, who there's a lot of gun violence in Chicago. I got to, you know, interact and engage in so many discussions with pastors all over the country with s different backgrounds and different kinds of churches uh, than I know. And it's been, a, it's been a time of great growth for me. And, you know, most recently, as, a, you know, you heard from Elisa, who's also part of the trip. Uh, some of you were also part of the trip, but I got to participate in this prayer march along uh, the Black Sea in different countries, in Georgia, in Turkey, and in Bulgaria. And after that trip, I came out reminded of something so basic yet so important, but I was reminded of the immense power of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, with all these experiences, because, you know, I'm the pastor of Good News Church, I'm always thinking about the church. I'm always thinking about the areas where we need to grow. I'm always thinking about the, the direction that God wants to lead us as a community. And so today, uh, I'm just going to share a couple of those things, a couple of those convictions. Uh, I just want to share two basic things. I have a couple more convictions, but I'm going to just share two today that I came back with and uh, something that's been really been pressing upon my heart uh, during this summer, 
and uh, something that I want to see us as a church grow in. Uh, the first thing I think we really need to grow in is uh, corporate prayer. Uh, the second thing I think we need to grow in is we need to overcome some of our fears, okay? So corporate prayer and overcoming our fears. Now, obviously, those two areas are probably going to be areas where we always have to grow, where there's always room for growth. I don't know if we'll ever be like, we pray enough, and I don't know if we'll ever reach a point where we say, uh, there is absolutely zero fear in my heart, but I think if we can experience some growth and make some headway in these two areas, I think we are going to see a lot of fruit from the Holy Spirit. I think some of us will experience greater freedom. Uh, I think some of us will experience a rekindled joy in knowing Christ. I think some of us will experience uh, a newfound passion for mission and for ministry. I think some of us will experience a change of perspective. Uh, I think some of us will experience this deep hunger for the Word of God uh, to feed our souls and not just to feed our minds. And I think we will experience this unleashing power in terms of uh, the use of our spiritual gifts. And you know, when those things happen, I think our witness, I, I believe our witness to New York City uh, will be much more powerful and much more effective. Those are the two things that uh, I'm convicted of in terms of our community. Now, <clears throat> with respect to growing in prayer, uh, I do want to emphasize the aspect of corporate prayer. Uh, I think many of you, and I hope many of you, are praying on your own individually and privately. Uh, I think many of you are probably cultivating your own relationship with God and spending time with the Lord. But uh, I want to emphasize, I think we need to gather together more with other believers, right, physically and pray together with other believers. And of course, uh, it doesn't have to be just a good news church meeting. Uh, if there's other prayer meetings that are taking place, I think that's good, and feel free to pray with other believers from other churches. In fact, I would probably take it as a very positive sign uh, in New York and for New York if we start to see believers from different churches just kind of gathering together and deciding to pray together for the city. Uh, you know, if we uh, regularly gather together and other believers with other believers and we pray and worship God together, I think there's going to be a lot of spiritual power behind that, and the, the spiritual climate of New York, we'll see, will begin to change. Now, immediately, I, I do understand the challenges of that. And here, here's what we think the challenge of that is. Time, right? When do we have time to do that? That's what we think the challenge is, and that's probably what we think the biggest challenge is. But, you know, I don't think that's actually the biggest challenge. I actually think the biggest challenge is probably desire, it's probably desire. We probably don't want to use the very little time we have outside of our busy work schedules. For those of you with families, outside of our busy families, outside of our busy social calendars and so forth, to go to uh, what uh, is probably going to be a, a small, probably awkward gathering of people in a meeting to pray, right? We, we probably just don't have enough desire to do that. And uh, so what my prayer has been these days as I've been praying for the church I've been asking God to not simply just bring more people to prayer meetings because uh, I don't think that's the issue. I'm simply asking God to convict us not only of the importance of prayer, but to give us a heart to pray, to increase our desire to pray with other believers, with other people. Because, you know, if there is this deep desire within us to pray, I think uh, no matter how many people are there, 
I, I do think prayer meetings will be this very powerful time where we fellowship with God, and uh, especially if, with, if we're with other churches and believers from other churches, I do think it's going to be a very powerful time of really knitting our hearts together in unity for the same kingdom. Someone once told me, <clears throat> you know Jim Simbala, Pastor Jim Simbala, he's a pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle. Uh, he used to say this, you can tell how many people in the church love Jesus, not based on how many people come out to Sunday service, but really based on how many people come out to prayer meetings. That's what he would say. And he would say this, uh, you know, some people come out to Sunday service for a variety of reasons. That's probably not for uh, Jesus. Uh, people come because maybe they like to hear uh, a certain preacher. People come because they like the music and they enjoy the music. Some people come because they feel this religious duty to go to church on Sundays. But you see, when you come to a, a voluntary prayer meeting, uh, you usually come because you want to fellowship with God. You usually come because there's a, a spiritual neediness, and you're coming and you're saying, God, I need you. God, we need you. And you see, when we start to see people growing in a desire to pray, then I do believe that we will start to see a movement of the Spirit uh, because all things in mission and ministry are dependent not upon who we are, but ultimately upon the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. So that's the first thing, prayer. I'm going to challenge you guys <laughs> in the fall. I'm going to challenge you. We need to get together and pray. Now, in addition to prayer, here's the second thing uh, I came back convicted of. I think we need to overcome our fears, Okay. Now, unless you're somebody who lives with crippling anxiety, maybe you don't realize the powerful role that fear can play in your life. But I suspect that fear plays a very big role in hindering us from doing that which God may be calling us to do. We can probably say, we, we actually can say with confidence that the Spirit has given many spiritual gifts to everybody here in this room. If you're a believer, if the Spirit is in you, the Spirit has given you gifts. But I do wonder how many of us aren't aware of the gifts that we have? How many of us are not seeking to discover the gifts that we may have? How many of us are not using the gifts that we have because of fear? Let me just give you a small example. I'm not sure what you personally believe about healing gifts. And I know in our culture, you know, people kind of have a negative view about faith healers. Uh, but I think some people have the gifts of healing because it says it in the Bible. So in 1 Corinthians 12, it says some people have the gifts of healing. Now, if somebody has a gift of healing, let me ask you this. What if God gave you that gift, but you never tried it because you were afraid of what people might think of you if you did try it? you would never know you had that gift, right? What if you'd never tried using it because you were afraid of maybe what might happen if you prayed for healing and that person didn't get healed, and so because you're afraid of that experience, you never try to use it? I think this is a small example of maybe how fear can prevent us from doing that which God may have gifted us to do. Now, if you take that, just one example, and you apply it to the broad range of gifts across the spectrum, whether it's gifts of service, gifts of mercy, gifts of prayer, evangelism, teaching, leading, on and on and on it goes. What if you never even try to see if God has given you any of those gifts because of fear? You know what happens? The body of Christ suffers, right? People wouldn't get healed as they ought to. People may not hear the gospel as they ought to. 
People may not turn to Jesus as they ought to. People wouldn't be encouraged by your words of prophecy as they ought to be encouraged. You see where I'm coming from. There are a million examples that we can look at, and you personally have to be a little bit reflective in asking yourselves how fear may be something that's holding you back from being a faithful steward of what God has given you in terms of giftings. And if we're not using the gifts that God has given us, that we're not building up the body as God intended us to do. Take a moment and consider this. <clears throat> if the Spirit freely dispenses gifts to his church in order to build up the church, in order to be effective in the work of mission, what do we lack? What do we really lack? We already have everything that we need. Do we lack numbers? Well, hey, guess what? The church started with how many people? All right, 12. One of them was corrupt, so really 11. <laughs> In John 14, and I think our brother Fred preached on this, Jesus said that we would do greater works than he because of the power of the work in the Holy Spirit. If that's true, if that is true, what are we really lacking to be effective in mission? Nothing, right? Nothing. So then what would hinder us from being faithful in our mission? Personally, subjectively, my conviction, I think, largely has to do with fear. We have a lot of fear in our hearts. I think we need to overcome that. So, where do we begin? Where do we begin addressing these? How do we become a kind of people who really love to pray? Not just like go to a prayer meeting because we feel like we should, but really yearn to pray to God together. How do we become a people who are free, experience a, a kind of freedom from our fears so that uh, we can unleash maybe the things that God has already given us through his spirit? Psalm 46, I think, is a good place to start because it reminds us of something that we all need to remember and believe with a deep conviction, not just in our minds, but in the ways that we live. And it reminds us of this, the power of God, the power of God. You know, Psalm 46, um, it's famous for a couple reasons. One of the reasons why it's famous, especially for uh, Protestants, is because Martin Luther wrote a hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, uh, is based on this psalm. And Martin Luther, you know, I think he went through a lot of hard and difficult seasons. And I heard that whenever he felt discouraged or depressed, uh, and, you know, this relates to my sermon last week, but he would get his friend, Philip Melanchthon, <laughs> and they would, they would sing Psalm 46 together. And Luther would say this, We sing this psalm to the praise of God because God is with us and powerfully and miraculously preserves and defends his church and his word against all fanatical spirits, against the gates of hell, against implacable hatred of the devil and against all the assaults of the world the flesh and sin what a powerful statement as to why he sung this psalm i think every church in history needs to remember this but especially probably i would say churches in new york city you see if martin luther uses psalm 46 as a source of encouragement we can too the other reason why this psalm is famous, I think, is because of verse 10. And verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Now, when you think about that verse, be still and know that I am God, uh, what are you picturing and what are you imagining? You know, I found that maybe uh, when people think about this verse, they oftentimes miss the tone of it based on the context of this psalm. 
Uh, just this past week, I read someone on social media, and uh, he was advocating a, a style of prayer where you just kind of sit in solitude and you don't say anything. And uh, he said, you know, we, we need permission to know that we can be silent and we can be still and know that he is God uh, because he loves us and he cares for us. And of course, uh, these are all true things, and it's, you know, it's not a wrong reading of this text either. But here's what I want you to do. I, wanna, I want you to look at the context of this psalm for a moment because I, I think the tone of it is a little bit uh, not so much like relaxing and, oh, we can relax before God because he loves and cares for us, but it's a little different. <laughs> look at verse 6. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. Right? Look at verses 8 and 9. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters a spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Now, what is it saying here? It is saying this, that God is so powerful. God is so mighty. He can pretty much do whatever he wants in an instant just by uttering his very word. And therefore, you know what you need to do before a God who is that powerful? You need to be still before him. <laughs> you need to be in awe of him because he is almighty God, full of power. That's the kind of stillness I think the psalm is telling us we need. You know that feeling when um, somebody of, of authority comes and he, he like, you know, rebukes somebody or corrects a room or maybe yells at people and then uh, after that the room gets like very deathly silent do you know that feeling am i the only one who has experienced that you know when i was uh, i remember I, I remember these vivid moments right i was trying out for the basketball team in eighth grade and uh as i you know as we were doing tryouts you know we weren't doing the basketball drills properly so the coach He's like, everybody sit down along the bleachers. And we sat along the bleachers. And he starts yelling at us, do it right, follow instructions. And everybody's just like so still and so quiet. <laughs> and it's like, oh, no. He's like, if you don't do it right, I'm going to cut you, and you're not going to make the team. And it's, it's like this eerie sense of, all right, nobody move, right? By the way, I didn't make the team, so I guess I didn't do the drill right. I remember when I was in 11th grade, uh, my history teacher, who I loved, and the reason why I love history He's a scary dude sometimes if you, <laughs> if you didn't do the assignments. Uh, I remember one time, uh, majority of the class didn't do a certain assignment, and uh, he's like, what are you guys doing? Are you guys just joking around? Are you messing around? What are you doing here at school? And uh, after, you know, after he like, rebuked us, the room was death, like literally like, nobody moved. It's like one of those moments you can hear a pin drop. When I had a job in sales, maybe some of you have experienced this in your work, it was during the financial crisis, the president of the company said in a very soft voice, you know, if you don't make your numbers, then we're going to find somebody else and you won't be here next week. And what does that do? Everybody is deathly silent. You know that feeling? I think that's a little bit of the feeling of uh, verse 10 when it says, be still and know that I am God. Look at this psalm. Notice the military language. You know, it, it feels like this psalm was written in the context of war. And uh, as I was reading the commentaries, they said, they think, they don't know for sure, but they think that this psalm comes from the story of 2 Kings, chapters 18 and 19. And uh, I'm actually going to preach from this passage in the fall, so I won't say too much about it. But let me at least give you a brief summary of that story in 2 Kings, chapter 18 and 19. It took place during the time under the reign of King Hezekiah when the kingdom of Israel was divided. 
And foreign nations, like the nation of Assyria, were uh, attacking and conquering the lands of Israel and Judah. And Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, he sends this message to King Hezekiah, who at the time is king over Judah. And he says to him, basically, I'm going to take you over, right? I'm going to take over Judah. And in that process, what he does is he mocks the God of Israel, and he questions his power. And basically, Sennacherib is telling Hezekiah that, Judah, you have no chance against the powerful armies of Assyria, and you are going to lose. That's essentially what he says to Hezekiah. So what does King Hezekiah do? He, uh, he prays to the Lord. He's one of the good kings uh, under the, the, the kings of Judah, and he prays to God. And after he prays, the prophet Isaiah tells Hezekiah, Hezekiah, God has heard your prayers. God has heard your prayers. And so what does God do? Let me read you the conclusion of that story from 2 Kings. This is how the story ends. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mount against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return. And he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord, for I will defend the city to save it for my own sake, and for the sake of my servant David. Now listen to this. Here's what God does. And that night, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Can you believe that? That story, I think, adds a little bit of color to what Psalm 46 is saying. Does it not? Perhaps these are the works of the Lord that they were called to see. God is able to strike down an entire army of Assyrians in order to protect his people from destruction at the hands of the Assyrians. That, friends, is the power of God. Sennacherib mocked God for not having much power, but guess what? The God of Israel turned, to actually, turned out to actually have a lot of power. Now, if you were King Hezekiah, and if you witnessed that power of God, how would you feel? Well, nobody really knows, but I think the way I would feel, I would feel like a mixture of happiness. It's like, oh, yes, the Syrian army is gone. Not my problem anymore. But I also think I'd be a little bit terrified of God after seeing what he's able to do, right? If I were Hezekiah, I'd probably do what the psalm says. I'd be still. And know that the God of Jacob, he is God. But that's not the whole picture of this psalm either. Because, you know, if it were, then we would have a God who just terrifies us. And uh, at the same time, he would feel very distant from us. But that's ultimately not who God is. Because this psalm not only shows us the power of God, but it also shows us the nearness of God. God is not our source of trouble, but what it says, he is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. God is in our midst. The Lord of hosts, or another way to translate it, the Lord of armies is with us. And it is through his nearness where the people of God derive comfort and ultimate security. Not only is he powerful, but he is also with us. He is near us. 
I think I've used this illustration before, but I want you to imagine a scenario. You know, in New York City, I don't think there's that many like truly dark places because there's so many lights everywhere. But imagine you're walking through maybe a dark alley, maybe through a, a park and there's no lights and it's very dark. And as you're walking, you're walking by yourself and you, you hear some noises, you hear some people shouting, maybe you hear some footsteps running towards you. And if you're walking alone, maybe you feel a little bit scared, right? It's like, ooh, what, what's out there? What's around me? What's gonna attack me? But now imagine that same scenario and you're not alone but you have a friend with you. Are you less scared? Probably. Now imagine you're walking with a group of people with several friends. Are you less scared? Probably. Now imagine you're walking with a friend who also happens to be a Navy SEAL in full military attire with night vision goggles. Are you scared at all? Probably not, right? Because you'll say, this Navy SEAL is going to protect me and do whatever, uh, do whatever he can to make sure that I don't die. You see, th there's a difference between walking uh, somewhere that's dark and scary, walking alone and walking with others. There's even a greater distance of walking with somebody like a Navy SEAL. And you see, that's the common refrain in this psalm. It's like God is with us, right? God is with us. And that's meaningful not just to the original hearers, but that is meaningful to our ears as well because it means this. We don't have to be afraid because God is with us. Verse 2 says, therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Picture that. You have to really imagine that natural phenomenon <laughs> taking place. Some of you from California, maybe you're used to experiencing earthquakes. I've only experienced it once. It was actually here in New York. I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago, we, we felt a little earthquake. I was working in a building at the time in an office and the, the building, it felt like it was like moving back and forth. And I thought it was like construction or I thought it was just the building, but I was like on instant messaging with uh, my wife and she was at her school in the Upper East Side. I was in the Tribeca area and she messaged me. She's like, my, my school is shaking. I was like, what? My building is shaking too. And then we hear an announcement, everybody get out of the building. That, that's kind of terrifying, just that little tiny earthquake that I think originated in Virginia and moved a little bit. Some of you people from California are like, ah, you baby, right? Well, it's scary to me. You know, when the ground moves, it's kind of scary. Now, that's just a tiny earthquake, but imagine seeing an earthquake where the earth begins to split, where you see mountains moving, where you see the waters are roaring. Maybe it's a, a huge tsunami being formed. Are those not legitimate reasons to be afraid? Very good reasons to be afraid. But this psalm says we will not fear. Why? It's not that we don't have good reasons to be afraid because there are plenty, but it's that we have a better reason to not be afraid. And the reason is this, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Therefore, do not fear. How will we begin to deal with our fears in a very meaningful way? We have to know that God is with us. We have to know that he is a power, that he is our fortress, and that he is with us. And that requires, I think, two things. I think first, it requires knowing that God is with us in the person of Jesus Christ. You know, when Jesus came into the world, he did dwell among us in a way that God had never dwelt among his people before. And while he dwelt with us for the first time in history, what did he do? He subjected himself to our very troubles. 
He subjected himself to the darkness of the world. You know, in the song, How Great Is Our God, uh, I love this line. I'm always struck by this line, but there's a line in there that says, darkness tries to hide and trembles at his voice. Darkness trembles at the voice of God. And I love that imagery. God is so full of light that darkness trembles at his voice. But you know, on the cross, darkness didn't tremble. Darkness overcame Jesus. Why? So darkness would no longer overcome us. Jesus took our troubles. Why? So that God could be a very present help in our troubles. Verse 5 says, God will help her when morning dawns. There's a reason why there's a morning that dawns for us. And it's because darkness fell upon Jesus on the cross. That's the first thing we have to know. Second thing we have to know is this, second part of the gospel. Darkness didn't overcome Jesus for long. Jesus didn't stay down for long. He conquered darkness three days later through the power of the resurrection. And after he was resurrected, Jesus ascended into heaven, and something very special happened. The Holy Spirit came to dwell in us with his presence and with his power. In the Spirit, God is always with us. And I think in a way that is uh, more unique and more powerful than he was with the people in the Old Testament. When Jesus says that we would do greater works than he, it was in the context of talking about the Holy Spirit. Not only would the Spirit give us a greater sense of the presence of God, but in the Spirit comes greater power. You know, I, I think we live in a culture that relies too much on therapy. And, uh, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying therapy is bad. Uh, I'm in favor of counseling. I'm in favor. I would always encourage it. Um, but not at the expense of spiritual realities, right? If we want to deal with our fears, maybe we should get some counseling. And I'm sure, I think counseling will help. But if we want to deal with our fears, we also need to experience the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's the spiritual reality. How do we do that? Let's circle back to what I said in the beginning. We have to pray. <laughs> we have to be a people of prayer. We have to devote ourselves to much prayer. You know, in the book of Acts, when persecution starts to come upon the church, you know what the believers pray for? They don't say, God, God, make this persecution go away. That's not what they pray for. They pray this, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That's what they pray. I'm going to preach on that passage too in the future. That's probably what we need to pray as well, I think. God, maybe we focus too much on asking you to change our circumstances, but here's what we want to ask. Change our hearts. Change us. Let us speak with great boldness. Show us the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we need. So what do we need to do? Very simple application. We need to gather as often as we can, as much as we can together, and we need to pray and worship together and seek the Spirit of God to come and show his power. 
We need to pray for the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to move within us, not just individually, but corporately as a church, not just corporately as a church, but within all churches in New York City, not just within all churches of New York City, but within all churches of over the United States, not just within all churches of the United States, but churches all over the world. And we need a powerful movement of the presence and powerful work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And when that happens, I think, I think fear will be overcome. And I think when fear is overcome, I think we will begin to see that God has actually filled us with much more than we could possibly imagine. That he has bestowed upon us many more spiritual gifts than we could have ever known. But we have to overcome our fear. We have to believe in the power of God and we have to experience his presence. Let's pray together.